0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome to Autism Live, I'm Shannon Penrod. It's Wednesday, so you can see that next to me, I have Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet. What a thrill it is to have her here for Ask Dr. Doreen. And you look beautiful in your blue this morning. So thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. You know, in this format, uh, it's kind of hysterical. And we sort of have chosen, a couple of times we did it like, you know, and it just sort of happened and we weren't sure what was happening where you could see us as we were going through the opener. And then, I don't know, I just sort of like it. It feels like that, you know, sometimes on Saturday Night Live, they play just a couple of seconds of the person saying before, we're getting ready to go live. I, I sort of like that. So, and many of you have written in and said that you like it. I do a little dance when, when they play the song um, and, you, and I do that all the time. Um, so anyway, we, we hope that you enjoy that. Sometimes it's us going, what's happening? Um because, because we don't, you know, there's all the ways that we get live here. Uh, but thrilled to be here with you. We're coming to you live from many locations. I'm at home, Dr. Pichet is at home, and our producer is at home. That social distancing thing that we're all doing. Uh, but we're really excited. This is a big week at Autism Live, and I love that Dr. Pichet is at the center of all of it. And it's a wonderful opportunity for you to get your questions answered by her because she is this amazing, I believe the preeminent expert in the field of autism. And she's a visionary. I I do, I've known her for many years now and I do believe that she has the ability to see around corners. And in this era, like, you know, how incredible to have somebody who can see Mm -hmm. sort of ahead. Um, Although nobody, nobody knew this, right? None of us could see this. But thrilled that she is here and she's gonna be answering your questions. We do give the disclaimer that there is no expert in any field that could give individual specific advice in this format. So please write in details, um, as many details as possible. And then what we will do is take a tour of Dr. Grampuche's lovely, beautiful mind. And she will tell us what she knows on that subject, but then you need to take that information and go back to the expert who has eyes on the situation to be able to figure out what to do next. But we know, because you guys have written in and told us that it helps to have a wider understanding of, you know, maybe even what question to ask next, right? So um, this show is live. We are live right now on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube and Periscope. And we are live on our homepage, autism-live.com. We hope that you will check us out there. I know yesterday, Dr. Grampuche, we had Dr. Temple Grandin on. And Facebook was not our friend. And we could not get the show up live on Facebook. So many of you, and we were posting everywhere saying, come over and watch us on YouTube. We did rebroadcast later on in the day on Facebook. Um, But you know, it's like this internet that we are all leaning into. Sometimes there are just eight more people than can fit on the boat. And then they start kicking off things. It's just, who knew that the internet had a limit? But apparently it does um so in any case i i said to dr Granite, and i said well we broke facebook um but we were able to get it later on in the day so if you missed it you guys check it out there but we're on facebook today and i'm really excited about that so um and by the way we podcast to so many different places and love for you guys to watch us on itunes it's a free download you can do it with just the sound if you want to take us for a walk or you know get on your elliptical and listen to us or you can get the picture and sound we're also on iheartradio on deezer um what else traven's got it all right there I, i always forget spotify I don't know why Spotify. It's not that I don't have love for Spotify. I do, uh, but I forget because it's so cool that we're on Spotify. But don't forget autism-live.com and you can write in on the bottom. I have, I'm going to show you, I'm going to sneak and show you that I have an iPad right here that shows me when you guys write in on the live feature. So don't be afraid to write in on the live feature. It's free, it's anonymous um, and I can see when you guys write in. So Dr. Grampiche uh welcome 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 are we ready to take some questions
1: yeah absolutely and i'm so sorry that i also missed your uh uh, show with uh temple Grandin yesterday i would have loved to see that but i heard that it was a wonderful show anyway so
0: thank you it was and it's available
1: let you down that's okay
0: i'm sorry what
1: i said even if facebook let you down it's okay i have to tell you though shannon we also had a lot of different um kind of internet related issues yesterday. So I think yesterday something was going on. We, our whole area um, went dark for a while.
0: Wow, wow. And I'm sorry, that was my audio. Uh, because I didn't realize that I had our website up in another place so all of a sudden we had had us playing twice that was me my bad my technical bad Uh, I do that all the time because I'll be checking comments and I forget that it'll start streaming Uh, but I do want to tell people you can still go back and watch that Temple Grandin and and of course we're here live today tomorrow Kobe Bird from that hit show Lock and Key is with us and then on Friday we have Temple Grandin's mom Uh, Eustacia Cutler is gonna be here. And I know like we're gonna try not to break the internet again. Um, But you know, if we do, we do. All right, Uh, but so thrilled that Dr. Pichet is here with us because I just wanna say that she is one of the most remarkable people that I have ever had the opportunity to know in my life. And, um, you know, we all know that I, I love the Center for Autism and Related Disorders card. Um, because they gave me back my child. And I don't know how else to put that. And I know that there are a lot of people who don't understand what that means, but there are many people who are watching who do. And I just wanna say that it's because of this woman, um, that she is the, she, how many years ago did you decide that you were gonna devote your life uh, to autism? and to help people it's way more many years than anybody would believe it's it's 40 years ago is it not
1: yeah it's actually 42 years ago first of all thank you so much Shannon. you're always very kind to me and you say the nicest things i really appreciate that but yeah i got involved in the field forty two years ago and of course then 12 years later opened card which means it's card's 30th this year
0: which is amazing and um you know i i've I've been there at CARD at first as a a mother of a client. um, And now, you know, working with CARD because I believe so much in the mission of what they do. um, And because I believe so much in the mission that this woman started us all on. So I just wanna say thank you to her. And every day that I spend with my child and he crests another hurdle, um, you know, I, I literally had a moment yesterday where I was just like, gloom and doom. And I was like, you know, this is just terrible. This socialization is just absolutely horrible because my son is supposed to be taking the SATs. And this is the semester in which he gets ready and writes his college essay. And how could, and I went, oh my gosh, like get your gratitude on girl there. You know, a good solid 14 years ago, I sat in a doctor's office and cried and thought my child will never be able to say, I love you, mom. How about if I just like grab a whoopee and go, yes, this is difficult because he's not taking the SATs. How lucky am I? But it's because of this woman and the vision that she had and the fact that she taught that to other people. So I just wanted to say that. All right.
1: Very <laughs> Can I just say that I just saw a, a video clip that you had made with your wonderful son and I it brought me to tears. Every, every couple of years when I see him or every year or so when I see him, it just amazes me. He's just developed into such a beautiful, lovely human being. So sharp and and smart and yet kind and empathetic and just like, oh, I love the boy, it's amazing. Well,
0: let me just say to you that your hand, your handprint is on thank his heart. You.
1: Thank you, thank so, you. All right,
0: now I have to mop down. Um, okay, um, and he is, he's a wonderful person, but your handprint is on his heart, okay. Um, but we want to be able to help all of you to get to what you need, because I do feel incredibly lucky, but that's, you know, we, we want to help you. So we're going we're gonna to move on to questions. Um, we've had a, a mom writing to us the last couple of days, and I, I, I don't know if this is on your list because I sent you new questions just a little while ago. We were chatting earlier this morning. Um, that she is looking for help with her six-year-old daughter that she's trying to potty train. She said that she felt that she had tried everything, and I wrote back to her, Dr. Grandfichet, and I said, "Are you familiar with the Fox and Azrin method?" And she said, "No, I have never heard of it." And of course, you know, I wanted to leap through my phone to hug her because I know that sometimes as a parent we feel like I have literally tried everything. But I was saying to her, you literally have tried everything except the one thing known to work, the Box and Azrin method. But she did write back in and say to me, I've tried repeatedly taking her to the potty. This is a six-year-old. She refuses to go in the toilet. She will hold it until she has a pull-up on. And she said, would you please talk about this on the air? And I said, I, we will do our level best. So here you go, Dr. Pichet, What can you do to help this mom who's at her wits end?
1: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, uh, deep breath, and uh, don't want to get. I don't want you to get involved with something that is going to uh, take a few days when you're at this level of stress. Like I really just kind of would suggest that you uh, just let it go for a few days. Don't worry about it at all, and uh, let's uh, direct you to a few places that you can read up and learn more about the Fox and Azrin procedure. We also have several shows where we've talked about this and I believe a pretty in-depth training that, that Dr. Sienna Greener-Wooten did for us on, on Autism Live. So uh, I'm sure Shannon will refer you to those. Uh, but let me just back up real quick and say, <clears throat> we, we often try to do things with our kids the way that we would do it with any other child or a typical child and it doesn't work and then we become very frustrated and it's not a it's don't get frustrated it's really just a matter of following a, a different set of procedures and it's kind of think about it as a, as a different language where once you start talking the right language your child will actually get it and it will work so with potty training it's a pretty sensitive subject and the more you uh, push and the more you become kind of combative with your child it takes longer and your child will become a little bit more defensive and it'll become harder to do so back off a little bit from whatever you've been doing and just let her have the pull-ups for a little bit now i do want to say that um, we actually published research several years ago, I don't remember when now, but that showed that pull-ups themselves prolong the potty training procedure. So uh, when you are when a child is uh, going back and forth between pull-ups, it becomes a little bit more confusing. Just having a, a pull-up or a diaper or something on uh, uh, gives the child a signal that it's okay to go ahead and... Uh, P in their, in their pull-ups. So uh, when you start the procedure, you'll go through a whole different series of steps, but I'll very, very quickly tell you kind of how this works. You'll need a few days and you'll need uh, help. So you'll need friends or people who can come in and help you because the procedure is not one where you can uh, practice it for an hour and stop. It's pretty much a whole, the whole day for about three days. And um, you'll basically, you'll need people to come in and like help you take shifts, right? Um, and you will make the, the A bathroom, you'll take a, a bathroom and make it a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Um, you can put a TV in there if you can, or, or a laptop or a computer or uh, all lots of fun stuff. and. Uh, Your child actually will be running around, so it's good that, I I don't know where in the country you are, but hopefully now we're heading into the summer and and weather starts to get better because you will not be wearing underwear or pull-ups. Your child, I mean, will not be wearing anything and will be uh, essentially uh, in in spending most of the day in the bathroom. Um, And it's kind of a reverse schedule where uh, you start by being on the, the toilet for a period of time. The child is on the toilet for a period of time and uh, they, hopefully they will void and once they void a lot of reinforcer and a little bit of free time and then they go back on. So you start with much more time on the potty than off the potty and during the course of the day or two days uh, you gradually reverse that so that eventually by the end of the second day or third day, you get to where you are on a 15-minute go-to-the-bathroom schedule or maybe a, even a 30-minute go-to-the-bathroom schedule if, if that's possible. But in order to make it successful, you'll do a, few, a, a little bit of prep where you'll be giving your child a lot to drink and some salty foods the day before so that they actually want to drink. Um, Now, all of this type of detail is in the FOX and ASTRON protocol. So um, instead of just kind of jumping around here, I will uh, refer you to some of the shows where we've gone through great detail on this. Um, And I really uh, tell you, it is very successful. Please don't be discouraged. Um, Stop, take a breath right now, read the procedure, watch the videos, and then when you start back up, make sure you have some uh, friends or people who can help you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Grant Pichet. And I just want to say we did a video right before all of this uh, COVID stuff. We went into the studio and we did a couple of videos, uh, one on feeding, one on sleep and one Mm -hmm. on uh, the Fox Nazrin method for potty training with Cecilia Knight and Jen Yakos. And we are getting ready to release those videos. It'll probably be next week. And it's, uh, it's intensive, explaining what the Fox and Azrin thing is. It's the two of them and I sit with them and occasionally I say something funny because mm-hmm. what do I know? Um, but, <laughs> but it was very fun uh, filming with them. They're two incredible people. And we should have that out to you guys next week. But there are tons of videos right now, autism-live.com. Go there, check those out. Just put in potty training. And a bunch of things will come up, including that one with Dr. Sienna Greener-Wooten. Hey, I'm gonna come to a question in a few minutes from uh, somebody who's been writing in under the the name Love Life. And I just wanna give you a chance to answer before we get to your question. I wanna know, because I know Dr. Grampy Shea is gonna wanna know, is your child making any sounds, making any vocal productions so that we can get to that? I also wanna say uh, that we have one mom who watches the, uh, the show and interacts with us, Dr. Grand Pichet, who always says, this is her Netflix. This is what she's doing during this. Uh, and she says, and when we started the show, she said, let's party. And we're thrilled that you're mm-hmm. here with us. We're also saying hello to Swathi." Uh, who's watching, the mom of Siri. She says, hi, Dr. Doreen and Shannon, we're glad to have you here. Uh, we, we love her and we love Siri and I love the jewelry that uh, Siri makes with, uh, with her designs. Uh, but bless her heart, Mary was watching the opening and I think she must be a new viewer and she said, what is card? Uh, and Mary, like, hello and welcome. <laughs> I'm excited excited for you to be here. CARD stands for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. If you haven't already, go to www.centerforautism.com and check out the wonderland that is CARD. These are the people who saved my bacon and saved my boy. And this is the place that Dr. Pichet created 30 years ago. Centerforautism.com. Um, she can tell you all the wonderful things about it, but I can tell you that those of us who have kids who've gone through the program or are in the program, we have this phrase that we say, card, it's where miracles happen. So there you have it. Um, and I got my miracle there and they are all over the United States. So check them out, centerforautism.com. They are still doing therapy right now yeah. um, and they are still doing intakes right now. So, you know, have, have yourself some.
1: Thank you. Sorry, Shannon. And and Mary, we do do applied behavior analysis. We do ABA and we have uh, clinics, as Shannon said, all over the country. And we have about, uh, I don't know, 360 or so behavior analysts, BCBAs, and uh, who are supervisors and somewhere around 6,000 or so behavior uh, technicians or therapists who come to the homes and uh, also do telehealth therapy. And when COVID-19 is over, uh, we will also go back to uh, providing services in our centers. So yeah, we'd love to hear from you, Mayor.
0: Amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay, I have a couple of questions that I promised that I would get to, and then I'm gonna come back to this love life, uh, but tell me if your child is able to make sounds or say any words. Uh, Okay, Um, someone specifically asked, my son, 21 years old, was diagnosed also with Tourette's. And when he plays video games, he uses bad language and talks very loud. We don't use bad language, she says. And he seems not to even be aware of what he is saying. What do you recommend we do?
1: Yeah, so this is, you know, I I don't know if, uh, I can't tell from the email if the bad language he uses is uh, due to the Tourette's, which obviously Tourette's, that's one of the symptoms of Tourette's, Um, or if it is simply that the environment of the video game uh, has bad language in it. So it could be either one because, uh, and also please uh, remember that with Tourette's, anything that is high speed or high stress uh, or just basically uh, a, a kind of an anxiety provoking activity uh, can increase the, the uh, utterances of profanity. Um, and so it, because a lot of those come out in stress. So um, if it is, if you see that essentially it's a, just like a very high level anxious type of uh, video game, and that is increasing the effect of the Tourette's, uh, you essentially have two options. Um, you can either change the games and not allow those types of games that are high uh, intensity, um, or you can talk to his physician and uh, figure out what you can do from a medication perspective to help control this a little bit better. Um, now, if it's just that the actual activity on the video itself is uh, uses bad language and or sometimes there are other kids, other individuals or adults, I should say, on these programs when you're playing, a lot of times nowadays the video games are multiple people talking to each other. And if there's, that's where the bad language is occurring, he could be modeling. Uh, which basically makes it very important for him to not be involved with that type of game or that type of audience. So you kind of need to figure out uh, what is the cause of it? Um, Is it just, you know, the Tourette's acting up due to stress or is it uh, the environment and the people and the video game itself? Uh, Either way, Uh, you know, you can replace this activity with something else, but you just need to make sure that the other thing that you bring in is as rewarding um, to your son um, and then it should be able to do.
0: Yes, and I I have to admit that, you know, I appreciate that you don't use foul language, um, but I'm gonna admit that it is my favorite hobby. Um, mm-hmm. that I can swear three Russian sailors underneath the table. I do enjoy a good swear word and I know judge me, feel free to do that. And my son is about to be 17 years old and he plays those video games and they all do. It is almost like it is their way of banging on drums. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I'm just going to say to you that the environment is there and what, what we have done is cultivated and said to him, because what am I going to say to him? Because I use those words and he hears me using those words. And what I've said to him is, but I don't use them in certain circumstances. Like, I'm obviously not here with all of you and dropping F-bombs. Um, like, that would be inappropriate. And so we, we, we've sort of taken that tack with it. But I got to tell you, on on those video games, it is all about that. Okay, I sort of feel like Sophie's choice because we have all these questions coming in in all different ways and I have to pick and choose. Um, But I do appreciate that somebody wrote in on the live feature and said, uh, hi, Shannon, I have a question for Dr. Reen. Hope she will answer on today's live Q&A. My son is three years old. He has been diagnosed with autism in December of 2019 when he was two years and nine months. We started ABA in February my question to Dr. Doreen is When do you know that ABA is working? I'm a desperate mom who wants my son to start communicating verbally. His ABA provider provides natural environment training, not DTT. This really bugs me since day one, she writes. Is this the right choice for our son? And she says she is in Texas. And this is something that I, I don't, you can tell already that I'm heated about this because this is. This is this thing that a bunch of, I feel like a bunch of BCBAs came out of school in the last couple of years and decided that only doing natural environment training because, because, because they thought the parents would like it better and they didn't want to have to explain DTT to parents. Because when we look at DTT as parents, we go, what is that weird thing? So these BCBAs decided that maybe they would just do natural environment. And I want to get them all in a room. And I want to like, take them all out behind the barn and say, where is your science? You're supposed to be science people that you got to have both of these things. Don't you Dr. Grand Pichet? It makes me mad.
1: Yeah. In fact, I just wrote that. You just gave me an idea because I think we should, I should talk to our clinical team who's really underwater right now, but And ask them to uh, either do a literature review or actually do a comparison of the speed of acquisition between DTT and NET. Um, So I I just want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, NET stands for natural environment training, DTT stands for discrete trial training, and they're both types of ABA, so that's important to note. Um, Discrete trial training is a very structured procedure where you uh, gain the attention of the child and then you teach the child in these things that we call discrete trials, trials that are separated from each other discreetly. Um, a trial consists of uh, a, a, an SD, which is a discriminative stimulus, or think of that as a, um, an antecedent, a signal, a, an instruction, an instruction, the behavior, so discrete, the SD, the behavior, and then an SR, or a consequence. So that is a trial. So essentially, I, for instance, would tell the child, clap hands, that's my instruction, the child claps, and then I reward it, and that is the reinforcer, okay? That whole thing is a trial. Um, These trials have two other features associated with them. One is that there's prompts. So when a child doesn't know how to do something, you can model it or help the child in a variety of different ways. That's called a prompt. And then there's a particular di- uh, period of time that's called the intertrial interval, which occurs between each trial. And that differs per trial. Some children like their trials to be pretty fast. Other children like it to be slower. Uh, When you're first starting, it's a little bit slower. When you get to a point where you're trying to practice fluency, then it's faster. All that aside, the whole concept of discrete trial training is that it is very uh, structured like that, right? And uh, the other very important component in DTT is that if your child, if the child fails the first time, you, that's okay, you just go ahead and present a second trial. And if they fail a second time, on the third trial, you must give a prompt or a model or some sort of help so that the child is successful and receives a reward. That's very important in DTT because it ensures that the child will be rewarded every third trial, every three attempts, a child the child will receive a reward. And that's super important because in the beginning, as we all know, our kids kind of don't want to deal with this. They don't know what's going on, and of course, they are um, they might lose interest or attention. Another very important thing about discrete trial training is that the instructions that are given, that first part, are very short and they're very clear and concise. So for example, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, Joey, can you please clap your hands? I would say clap hands. Um, Or in the very beginning, I might even say just clap. So um, it's kind of like when you teach a new language, uh, you keep it to a very minimum number of words because the listener, the student, uh, has an easier way, uh, has an easier time of learning and paying attention to keywords, memorizing keywords as opposed to long, long sentences, which for our kids, you really have to think about them as they're not really comprehending the language. So I'm trying, we're trying to teach them a new language. So instructions need to be short. Now let's put DTT aside for a minute and talk about NET. NET is natural environment training, natural environment and and it is a form of ABA. It is much, much, much more loosely structured. There's very little structure to it other than the fact that you still wanna try to give an instruction, wait for a behavior to occur and then when the behavior occurs, you reward it. So now if you can imagine you're walking around the house or you're in a room, you'll maybe pick something up and you'll say, oh, what is this? And the child will say, pen, and then you'll say, very nice, what do you do with a pen? It's much more loosely structured. Um, It does not require a reward on the third attempt. It does not require short uh, uh, introductory sentences or instructions. And um, you can prompt it in, in discrete trial. There's a whole hierarchy of prompts. Like you generally try to model less as, so that the child has a chance to do more on their own. In any T, you can take the child's hand and put it on an object. You can prompt it in any direction you want. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's a very effective, but it is definitely something that we at CARD at least do after discrete trial. So now going back to kind of how we teach at CARD, we definitely start with discrete trial. In fact, we start with a version of discrete trial that's called errorless, which means we don't just allow the child to make a mistake for the first two times and and then reward, make sure they're correct every third time. We make sure the child makes no errors in the, in the very beginning of teaching something. So if I say, you know, clap, And the child has never heard that before i'm not going to say clap no clap no and then finally model it for the child i would just model it from the very beginning and i would reward the child every time and then i would gradually take away my prompt right that way the child is very successful from the very beginning And then we gradually go into discrete trial, the bulk of our first year of intervention with a three year old would be discrete trial. Um, And the reason is that you just learn a lot faster with discrete trial. It's kind of like, you know, learning to do uh, your scales and practicing piano or to intensive tutoring versus just kind of picking things up in the natural environment, which is a lot slower. So I don't, unless your child is extremely high functioning and um, is speaking already and just kind of would, you know, has a very, very few symptoms of advanced social language deficit or conversational language deficits, um, then I would not be doing NET at this point. Your child has just started and has the uh, symptoms of autism such as no language or very minimal speech and language, minimal eye contact, minimal compliance, uh, minimal identification of receptive concepts, et cetera, I would really very severe, sincerely recommend that you switch to DTT. And then when things are mastered in discrete trial, they will go naturally or should naturally go into an NET format. So for us at CART, We start with an errorless process, we go to DTT, and then we go to NET and fluency. And and basically, we just want to make sure that everything that we teach in a district trial format is applicable to the natural environment and that the child is using it and interacting in the natural environment appropriately. But going straight to NET. It either in my mind, in my, my opinion, either won't work and, or it's at best, it'll delay things. And here's what's very important. We don't have time to delay things for our kids. Our kids need to get through this as fast as possible because by the time they hit five and six, now you have academic stuff that adds on to the child's uh, requirements as well. And then you just run out of time. So time is extremely valuable right now at age three, and I would really recommend that you do DTT. Shannon, you're so right that it's a new trend with a lot of BCBAs to say, oh, I do not NET." It's It's losing, it's watering down our science and it's losing the, the, the real impact that occurs in the first year or two.
0: Yes, and I say shame on them. I'm just going to say that. And to the parents, I want to say the D T thing, D T T thing looks weird, and we all go, "What is that? That looks weird." I don't know. But think for a second. I'm not a dancer. I don't know if you are, but I don't just pick things up, like. And I wanted to be in musicals at one point, and I'm, you know, I, I couldn't just walk in and and learn the dance moves. You know, just picking it up there. Somebody had to stop, slow it down and show me the individual moves and then stop and go, here's the part where you're not getting it and show it to me. Now that part was not performance ready, right? I had to learn that, practice it. And then I had to go and do it with the music at speed and do it that way. That's the way you teach something. And that's what you do when you do DTT and NET. If our kids could have picked it up in the natural environment, we wouldn't need ABA. Right. So shame on these BCBAs. Because, and I do think that it's largely because Parents will grouse and say that DTT thing looks weird. I would rather educate the parents. I remember being that parent sitting there and they said to my son, touch car. And I was like, touch car. We wanted to go to college. We're never going to get to college from touch car. Guess what? We are. We are. We are the living embodiment of that. So everybody take a breath, go through the DTT. It's just like learning the dance move. It's not the performance ready but you can do it and it's worth it. And I want to honor this mom that she's already frustrated and said from day one, I don't think something is right here. Listen to your gut. Either talk to that BCBA and say, look, you either need to do this the scientifically proven way, or I'm finding me another ABA provider. Get tough on it.
1: Yeah. And and the problem Shannon is that a lot of the, you know, NET is, is a form of ABA. It's just extremely loosely structured and it's like, Like you said, dance is a great example of anything, anything that we learn to do, we learn in short steps, in small segments. And that's what DTT is, it segments uh, uh, each section of everything we're trying to teach the child. And it's very important. Now, I do wanna also answer the actual question this mom asked, which is how quickly should I see something? This is a weird time. So I'm not sure if you've been getting therapy or not, because you started in February and in March, most of us were kind of in quarantine. So I would say um, at this point, this is not the best time to judge. Uh, when you do get started um, really getting intensive therapy, which is very important. And that's the other issue, Shannon, we talked about Yes. how many hours are you actually getting? If you're not getting intensive, it's gonna take a lot longer to see a difference. With my kids who receive, you know, anywhere between thirty to forty hours a week of therapy at age three, one-on-one doing discrete trial DTT, I you would expect to see a change in, I'd say, two months, um, and it's a pretty significant change. It's uh, it, there will be some a uh, uh, refusal from the child. They don't wanna always do the things that we're asking, but you will start to see change pretty fast with regard, regards to acquiring new skills.
0: Okay, we have so many questions. I'm gonna start rapid firing through, but I'm gonna go back to that love life question that, cause she wrote back in more information. I do wanna say too, that she said that she used the Fox and Azrin method and that it absolutely worked. Some people have written in and said, how do you spell that? It's F-O-X-X and Azrin is A-Z-R-I-N. So there we go, Fox and Azrin. But Love Life said, my son turns five on Friday and I have so many emotions about it. I'm running his ABA program at home with the guidance of his BCBA and he's doing great. Since being home, he's more engaged and interacting more with us. He communicates using sign and a speech device, but I am longing and praying for words. He gets so frustrated when we work on a co-ex. Um, and I So that I said, is he making sounds? Is, is there any uh, vocal production? Because I knew you would want to uh, know that Dr. Grampuche. And she said, yes, he's making the M, A, S, H, and ah sounds, and he also says mama, which is great. Okay, so what would you like to say for her, five years old um, and doing ABA? at home? Yeah,
1: that's sort of thing. So I have never had I don't think I'm trying to think I don't think I've ever had a child who makes that many sounds and doesn't end up vocalizing words. So I would say that you need to really, really, focus on sound production and um, adding turning these sounds into uh, meaningful uh, pieces of language So the way that I would do it is uh, first of all he's five years old and he's home and I don't know how many hours he's getting but if you really want to be effective at this you could you should be focusing something like four or five hours a day on a various, a language or speech type activities, which include pre-verbal speech. So I would be doing a lot of uh, tongue exercises, which by the way, all of this stuff is in skills. If you wanna go and check it out on skills, Um, but I would be doing a lot of uh, the the pre-verbals are things like tongue exercises, movement of the tongue, uh, you know, uh, chewing exercises, Um, blowing types of activities, inhaling and blowing, because you need all of these types of things in order to make speech. Now with, let's say just the sound M uh, and being able to say mama, that's terrific. And you should now be these, that's called a a, a homogenous chain because it's basically two sound, it's a two syllable of the same sound, ma, ma. And now you need to use other consonant sounds like he has s which is great and you should try to do uh, additional homogeneous chains like sa sa um, or things like that and once you are able to do more homogeneous chains you can switch over to a heterogeneous chain which would be ma me but he doesn't have another verb uh vowel sound it it seems like the only one he has right now is the ah sound but basically you will produce single sounds and then you will start to pair those single sounds up so uh and then as soon as you can you will start to pair them up with objects so for instance mama obviously uh, should be used in multiple ways either identifying a picture of you Um, saying your name when he sees you, saying your name when he needs you. Um, And just like that, you will start to also have other objects that for instance, Ju would be great for juice or Wa for water or um, you name it. You can start making up these types of just single syllable uh, sounds that represent objects that he would request. This is called manding. And um, then every time he wants an object, you would require some sort of verbal utterance. This is extremely important because the best way to get a child to produce speech is uh, when they're highly motivated. And when they're highly motivated is when they want something. So echoex is one thing that's echoing and repeating sound, and that's very important. But mand training is where it's really at, which is teaching the child to produce a verbal utterance or a vocal utterance whenever they want something, and gradually uh, making it such that a different vocal utterance represents the different things they need. Um, you know, bef- instead of uh, me trying to kind of tell you all of this, by the way. If he signs, um, that's great too, but you should really... uh, I I don't teach our kids sign just for for two different reasons. One is that uh, sign actually requires a a whole different level of learning of hand gestures and so on. I prefer very much to go to iconic uh, language. So symbols, then pictures. Things that represent the items that we, uh, you know, are the the labels that we're trying to teach the child. So something like a picture exchange system, or any of the Aug devices, or on iPads, there's all these there's pictures of objects. All of that sort of stuff is iconic language, and to me, that's easier because it can be used as a prompt to increase vocalization sign often replaces vocalization altogether and keep in mind with sign um, other people have to be able to read that sign language whereas uh, and there's not a whole lot of people in the world who understand sign language whereas with an iconic system uh, it's readily available even if the child does not ever uh, develop vocal language, you still have the capability of showing an icon or having an, a phone or an iPad with the iconic system. So you can pull up or an Aug device. So you can pull up the picture of the item they're asking for, or the communication they're trying to make. So icons have always been easier for us to, to turn into speech. Um, and, but, but that all that aside, I think the area that you need to focus on is man training and uh, as well as ECHOIC to do a lot more pre-verbals and increase the hours. I don't know how many hours you're working on this, but I would be doing really somewhere around, you know, maybe three hours a day. Um, not all at once, but broken up. And I would, um, uh, if you want more information on this, you really can look at institutes for behavior training, IBT, which is I- behavioraltraining.com and on there you'll find a whole bunch of training modules about teaching speech. Uh, that's very important and then also uh, on or man training you can look that up as well and also on skills which is our other company uh, skillsforautism.com on there you will find the curriculum. Uh, go into the language curriculum and look at everything that I just mentioned from you know pre-vocal training uh to all the initial echoics would be imitation or verbal imitation or echoics and then you have uh you know all the man training tack training everything that you need to do to get language speech started
0: Okay, wonderful. We're, we're just tons of questions and I'm sorry, we're not gonna to get to all of them, but um, somebody wants to know how to teach attributes to a two-year-old. For example, if I say, give me the red car, he either listens to the red part and gives me a red thing or to the car part and gives me a car. And they also wanna know what free training is offered by IBT this week. And I don't know which part of the, did they by any chance tell you yesterday which part of IBT is free? Um, yeah. we'll find We'll find out. But every week that iBehavioralTraining.com that Dr. Grampuche was just talking about, every week they're offering some part of their parent training for free. If you go into iBehavioralTraining.com and at the top there's a a tab that says something about community, you click on that. Then you click on caregivers. It takes you to the parents tab and then you get to see all the trainings that they have for parents and then it has, has a price associated with it. But every week they have a different segment that when you put it in the card, in uh, the cart, and if you put in the code COVID, all capitals, it's case sensitive, C-O-V-I-D hyphen 19, has to be all capitals hyphen 19. If you've picked the right ones, it'll zero out your cart and they'll be free. Uh, but we'll find out which ones. I know last um, week it was, do you Yeah, know?
1: sorry. Yeah, uh, so this week there are, one is useful strategies for in the home, And the other one is overcoming challenging behaviors. Those are are free and uh, um, you know they are rotating them and and actually Shannon I asked uh, the the folks at IBT yesterday to send you an email every week letting you know uh, so that you could also let your viewers know. Uh, Getting back to this question real quick, the issue that you're having is what we call discrimination training um, and it's a very common issue. I wouldn't be uh, scared by it. It's just that the child is over-selecting. They're listening to one or the other. There's a lot of different interventions for this, whether it's receptive, different types of uh, things that you can try or expressive, Or it has a lot to do with how you uh, prompt the child. What I would recommend is that you go to IBT the website we're just talking about, ibehavioraltraining.com and just get the one module that's called discrimination training. And you'll learn everything you need to know about how to teach the child to discriminate um, and to put these two things together. If you still have an issue, uh, you need to give me a little bit more detail about uh, how exactly is the instruction given what are the stimuli that you're using? Uh, and how is, um, the, are, are there any prompts involved? Uh, and what is the frequency with which the child responds to the color as opposed to the object? And was he fluent with both of those? Have you rotated, let's say the color with other objects? Does the same thing happen and so on? I have so many questions. That's why it's so much easier. <laughs> It's so much easier if you ever get if I get to observe a child doing something, then I know instinctively how to fix it. But it's hard when you just hear the problem. Yeah.
0: But this is why you guys can go back and bring this to the expert who has eyes and uh, uh, giving a shout out to a wonderful uh, mom here, Elena, who says my son is five and we're about to start ABA card in just a few weeks we tried in the past different therapies, but no progress. I really hope that ABA can help. I'm so excited. And Elena, I just want to say to you that, um, you know, that means that you get to come to an orientation, a group orientation with me. So we'll have a really good time because that's one of the things that I do is help orient parents to how to get started. So I'm excited that you're coming aboard. And I think that you're going to see some tremendous progress. Okay. Um, all right. So somebody says my son is three and he has the same problem, although I don't know what that was referring to. He has a tantrum when coloring and when toys don't fit in a certain place.
1: Oh, um, okay. So one sec. second, I'm just making a note to myself that I also <laughs> need to oh. borrow the mission. Yeah.
0: Okay, but I also, I think I know what it was that she was referring to because another person said, I have a question. I'm working with a child who shows a lot of inflexibility in his day-to-day activities. This includes getting upset and engaging in property destruction when he colors out of the lines of a page or when a toy doesn't fit exactly where he wants it to, how can we work on flexibility? That's the one that she was saying her son is just like, there we go. Right.
1: So uh, like everything else, well, first of all, inflexibility, has to do in my mind with increased anxiety, um, as well as you know, the, per, just a desire for perfection, right? So some of our kids, and I often try to see the world from the perspective of our kids, um, we, we teach them so many rules or we're trying to teach them so many rules and they learn very quickly that they will be rewarded uh, if things happen perfectly, right? Or the way that we would like it and then they strive for that and they try very hard to to do things perfectly. And so they become very frustrated when things are not perfect. That's one thing. Uh, The other thing is, you know, they they have control over so little to begin with that when they can't fix something it's twice as frustrating for them. Uh, A lot of our kids have increased heightened anxiety just because the world is harder for them to process. Like, it's not like, They don't understand half the language that's going on around them. Stimuli are very intense for them. Uh, Sounds are intense for them. Shannon, you know, I always talk about the fact that it's, it's a natural response to have a heightened level of anxiety if you have autism, just because it's so much harder to process the environment, right? Anxiety then leads to wanting to control things. Um, obsessive compulsive behavior is a form of anxiety. And so they'd start to develop these sort of obsessive behaviors and they act out these compulsions or things that try to help them reduce the anxiety. Uh, Being able to do things in a perfect way um, or having things in a certain order that must work uh, is a a stress reducer. It's um, it's something that, helps us feel a little bit more safe Uh, so that that's kind of what's causing it but on the other hand the way that you deal with it let's just talk about the one that both viewers wrote in which is not being able to place a puzzle in or getting frustrated when a puzzle doesn't go into uh, a, a, a or a piece doesn't go into the puzzle Um, So like everything else, you guys, you make it easier and reward more and then gradually back off. So when your child starts doing that, hand over hand prompt him so that he doesn't have as many failures. Uh, Make it easier in multiple ways. Either you can hand over hand prompt it or you can reduce the number of pieces so that really he only has one piece and one place to put it. Um, Reward that and gradually fade yourself out. So next time, instead of fully prompting his hand into the location, then tap his finger a little bit. And next time, maybe point to the location or maybe help him turn it. Uh, Those types of things, help more, prompt more, uh, reward it. Uh, So that the activity gains more of a rewarding, reinforcing type of uh, conditioning to it. And then gradually make it a little bit more difficult, uh, give him more shapes, more pieces, and uh, fade out a little bit gradually. Uh, You know, I would not expect this to go away that quickly uh, because it is a. A uh, form—it's just—it's kind of a uh, reaction, I guess, of the child to trying to control their environment, trying to keep things in a certain order. By the way, it's very telling for kids who try to do that because then it helps you identify other things that you can do in their environment to help them feel a little bit more safe. For example, picture schedules for kids like this it's always very helpful for them to know what's coming in their day. So give them a picture schedule, allow them to see what is the next activity. Um, maybe give them a drawer in the house where they can store their favorite items. Sometimes kids like this also like to hold on to objects or hoard objects. Uh, you know, deal with the, the, all the things that are inside that bubble of obsessiveness the the different behaviors that are also obsessive in nature, try to give the child a sense of safety in other areas or or security or routine. Routines, that's a big one. Having the child follow a routine helps them feel less anxious so that when something as small as a puzzle not fitting uh, doesn't happen, when it happens, that it doesn't cause a meltdown. So it's kind of a complicated response, but it's a lot of things to do with the child.
0: Wonderful. And I've only got uh, like three minutes left here, but I wanna go to a question that came in from Australia from somebody who is studying to get their uh, master's in ABA and they're providing therapy and the word is out. uh, They've heard that CARD has figured out how to do telehealth and do it really well and um, telehealth therapy even. And they would like some suggestions because they're working with a child and they want to know, you know, what is it the card is doing to engage um, that they're finding it uh, a little bit difficult. But I have just been amazed at what our card therapists have been able to achieve. I keep hearing from parents over and over and over again. In the beginning, the parents were like, I don't see how this is going to work right? But now they are swearing by their telehealth therapy and saying that it's absolutely amazing. And the more Therapists that I'm meeting, um, we a little for our card families, we have a webinar at night that's just for card families. And last night, Dr. Grampiche uh Sarah Niehoff was on there. She's a person who's been training all of the therapists, and she was going over some of the things that they training that they had in order to do this, and it blew all of our minds. We were so excited to see some of the things. It was very inspirational. But so for this this person in Australia who's saying that, you know, they're having a tough time of it. Uh, Card has worked very hard to make this reinforcing for the kiddos and make it reinforcing for the families. We've only got a minute. Anything you want to say about our secret sauce?
1: Yeah. So you know, it has a lot to do with just being more rewarding and more reinforcing, and that you know, our, our therapists have been very successful because they have been able to increase the, the the drama and all the different activity that takes place, as well as simplifying. And I will say, Shannon, I'll be the first to say that uh, it is not possible to do a lot of uh, acquisitions. So you can't do tough programming right now when uh, really the goal is just to maintain uh, the skills that the child had already learned. So it would be important to not try to put too much pressure to simplify the lessons, to increase the rewards, to do all kinds of theatrics and dramatics to get the child to be paying attention and more interested. And then, of course, you know it, it's always better if the parent is trained, so spending a lot of the time right now training the parent would be very important as well. And once the parent is, feels really uh, well trained, then they can help facilitate some of the the, the uh, telehealth
0: therapy that takes place as well. Absolutely. Uh, so I just want to say to Mary, who's written in a couple of more times, who started saying, you know, what is card?" Um, she writes that she's in Georgia. There is a card office in Atlanta. So please, and for the, anybody else who's interested, go to centerforautism.com, go to the locations tab. You can p- either put in a zip code or a city, or you can put in a state, and it'll show you all the ones available. That is what is available currently in Georgia, although you know, new card office offices open all the time. Uh, but so please check that out. I just want to thank Dr. Grampy Shea, being here, and I apologize profusely that we did not get through even half the questions, but we got some good information, and you can tune back in next week um, for more answers. I want to remind all of you that tomorrow, Kobe Bird, fabulous young man on the autism spectrum, he's 17, about to be 18, and he is a working actor. He was on Speechless, then he was on The Good Doctor, and now he is one of the main characters on the hit Netflix show, Lock and Key. He's gonna talk with us about that and about what he's been doing doing during COVID and how he's discovered a new superhero in his life. I'll, I'll give you a hint, she was on the show yesterday. Uh, and then on Friday, for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, we've got the, the mother of all mothers. We've, we've got Eustacia Cutler. She's gonna be with us on Friday. She's got some really important things that she wants to share with autism parents. She is Temple Grandin's mother. That's why she, I say she's the mother of all mothers. Uh, and she says there's four things that we need to know to be able to help our kiddos to learn as much as possible. She's gonna share that with us on Friday and then answer some of your questions. I've got room for a couple of more questions that I'm going over with her today we're picking all the questions beforehand email me s.penrod at autism-live.com and tell me if you have a question that you want me to ask Eustacia Cutler that's what's going on this week thank you Dr. Grampy Shea thank you all of you for being here we just appreciate you so much and we'll be back tomorrow until then give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too bye bye for now